So today, we want you to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to try to finish this series before Thanksgiving so that we can transition to some different material around the holiday season. Now, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are the closing unit of literature in the book of Daniel. Daniel is going to receive one final communication. What's going to happen to the Jewish people? Chapter 11, which we're not going to get into today, goes into such specific detail that the critics of the Bible said, Ah! There's no way that this could have been announced beforehand. It's too precise. Because chapter 11, if you want to prepare for it this week, you can go back and you can read the history book about how, how Alexander the Great goes in, conquers Israel, and then what happens is he dies at a very young age and it's divided amongst his four generals, uh, his kingdom, and that all of the infighting that takes place. Well, all of that infighting... That's what's recorded in Daniel chapter 11, and it's very specific and very precise, and so you'll find that out. Well, what we'll concentrate on next week is the end of chapter 11, which is concentrating on this mysterious person called the Antichrist, but we'll pick that up next week. Today, we want to look at Daniel's concern and uh, just take a few moments to uh, meditate upon what his concern was. And uh, we see that Daniel tells us uh, what he's thinking and what's taking place in his mind at this point. Let's begin reading the first um, four verses here of Daniel chapter 10. Now, I was open to chapter 10, but it wasn't the right chapter 10, so give me just a second here. I was in um, the book of Hebrews. That would not work. All right, chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. And the four and twentieth day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river, which is the Hittichel. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body was also like the barrel, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in the color like to polished bronze, and to the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. So we'll stop reading there, but uh, we've been in this series, um, let's see here, did my notes get up there, or did I go backwards, or did they not get in there somehow, there we go, yeah, so the big idea in the series is that you as an individual are secure in God's hands, now sovereign means that God is in control, even those who don't believe in Christ, you're not going to change the reality that God is a sovereign God. Right? Your unbelief doesn't change reality. But we encourage you today 
to become a believer in Jesus if you're not already. Now, we're going to see this played out specifically in that God is sovereign in the affairs of nations. One specific nation he claims as his own, and that's Israel. Now, historically, in this text, Israel had been conquered. They were captives. They had been captives for 70 years. Daniel had received prior communication from God that that 70-year captivity was going to end soon. Well, that did happen during Daniel's lifetime. But very few of the Jewish people actually went home to Israel. Only like 40,000. And Daniel is very concerned. Well, what is going to happen to Israel if we don't have a passion for, for God's nation? What's going to happen to to the nation. So this is what is in his mind, what he's thinking about, and God's going to give him a vision, which is in verses 1 and 2 called a thing, three different times. A thing came to Daniel. He understood the thing. I will explain that, but that's the vision that he received from the Lord, and it was set for future days, way out in the distance in time. Now, it's going to be a long time, and it's still future. So we've got more time to go yet until chapters 10, 11, and 12 become a reality. Now in God's mind, since he made the promise, it's already done. All right? It's already reality. So it's our responsibility then to take what is reality and live that by faith. And so this is why we know that we're secure in God's hands because he has a plan. Daniel was secure in God's hands because God revealed his ultimate plan. This is what's going to happen to your people. This is what's going to happen to your nation. You're secure. But not only is your people secure, but you, Daniel, you're secure. And so, yes, we have promises that are corporate in the way that they're given, but we also have individual promises that we can believe and we can trust God because he's in control. Folks, these are scary, scary times to live in. When I was growing up as a kid, you know, I used to watch The Lone Ranger and all those other things and think of the Wild West as, you know, being lawless. We're living there again, right? These are lawless times, but it's not just the Wild West, it's the wild United States, okay? But we are secure. Because God has a plan for your life individually, and he has a plan for our nation. Now, that's not been revealed in the scripture. But we know that the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so we know that God can bless our nation if we will honor him. All right, let's dive into our text here and uh, look at this today. Uh, the concerns of Daniel in the verse, uh, first three verses. So a thing is given to him. Now, a thing specifically is a revelation. Uh, God is revealing to him about the future, what's going to take place in the distant time, okay? So, and it says that Daniel's going to understand this vision. Um, he is going to be able to comprehend what it is. So, what is Daniel's concern? Well, in verse 3, he says, 
uh, verse 2 and 3, he was mourning three full weeks. He ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in his mouth, neither did he anoint himself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel's mental state during this time is one of sadness, sadness for his people. Folks, we should be sad for America, what's taking place. And it should move us to have God's concern for our nation, like Daniel was moved for concern for his nation. And so Daniel was fasting. Now, I know that in the Old Testament, there were two occasions in a year when the Jewish people were commanded to fast. I don't think that this is one of those occasions. I think Daniel was voluntarily fasting here. Um, fasting was a practice in the days of the New Testament. And um, the opponents to Jesus said, well, why don't your disciples fast? And he says, well, how can they when the bridegroom is here? In other words, when you go to a wedding, do you usually fast? No, you feast, all right? So Jesus is saying, the bridegroom's here. It's like a wedding while I'm here. But the day is coming when I'm gone that my disciples will fast. Did you know that you could fast? Now, nowhere in the New Testament are we actually commanded that we have to fast. But rather, fasting is something that we can do voluntarily. Okay, now hold on for just a second. Some of you are diabetic and it wouldn't be smart for you to fast. Okay, I got that. But there's other things that you can fast from. How about your social media? Okay. Um, how about the luxury of going through Starbucks every day? Okay, so there are, there are things that you can voluntarily give to God. What do you do when you give that time to God? The time that you would spend while you were eating, or the time that you would spend Instagramming, or TikToking, or whatever it is that you do on social media. Uh, what would you do with that time that you would spend in the Starbucks drive-thru? Isn't the one on Airline Highway just crazy how much time you can spend waiting in line there, right? Go out to the one on uh, San Benito Street, it's much faster. Just a little local hint there, all right, from one who spent too much time in line. But uh, give that time to the Lord. See, fasting is not something that we're doing to try to earn God's favor. Fasting is something that we do to show God that we love him and that we're concerned that his will that is done in heaven would also get done on earth. So we can choose to fast. May I suggest that Tuesday you can fast for your nation. Maybe it's not the whole day. Maybe it's just part of the day. Maybe it can't be food. Maybe it can be social media. But just take time to fast for your nation and be concerned for your country like Daniel was for his. And I think that's what Daniel's doing here. Is he's showing God his concern for his people Israel and he's burdened for them. And so he's not putting on um, the perfume or the ointments, all right? Um, he is brokenhearted for his people. And he does that for quite some time, that he is spending that time in fasting uh, before the Lord. Um, I think this shows us what the spirit of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled or satisfied. 
Do we have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, I challenge myself with that question. Do we strongly desire God's spiritual desires for ourselves? Are we hungering and thirsting? As the psalmist said, my soul longeth after you as the, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth after you. Some of you are hunters, and you take Bambi down, and you put Bambi in your freezer, right? But if you've ever had to track them down, you know how strenuous that is, both for the hunter and for the animal. And that's exactly what's taking place in the imagery there in Psalm 40, is the deer has been running for its life. It needs water. It, it's absolutely thirsting after life. Are we in that same desperate condition to thirst after righteousness? So let's find that in Daniel's concern here. Um, and that prepared him to receive the thing that came to him, the revelation. Uh, and by the way, just so you understand, um, as Christians, we're not living according to mythology. We're not making this up, all right? Uh, we have this word of God right here. And the Bible is the guide for our life. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed it out. And so read the word of God. Now the location here, it says he's by the river Hiddekel, verse 4. Um, today we know them, the two rivers that flow through uh, Iraq specifically are the Tigris, but this one uh, it, it is Tigris in verse 4. Hiddekel is the ancient name for it, so it's not the Euphrates. So he's physically present there. It's not a, a vision. He's really there. Now let's look at verses 4 through 9, the coming of a certain man. Um, well, let's pick it up in 5. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, here's this phrase, a certain man. Now that's a way of saying a nondescript. I can't tell you his name. I don't know much about him, just a certain man, clothed in linen, whose loins were girded in the fine gold of Euphaz, his body also like beryl, and his face like the appearance of lightning, and his eyes like ramps, lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet in the color like to polished bronze, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. So who is this certain man that comes? Um, how do we know uh, about this person. I'd like, for just comparison's sake, take a few minutes, and let's go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, last book of the Bible, chapter 1. So when a lot of people read Daniel chapter 10, they're super excited because they compare it to Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 9 and... Uh, following. Okay, so um, here the Apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and he has a vision. He receives it from the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 11, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what thou hast seen, uh, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. And he lists the seven churches. In verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, 
and being turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle, or the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the, the chest or the breast with a golden girdle, and his head and his hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine bronze as they burned in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters. You see why people get excited? When they read Daniel chapter 10, they're saying, ah, this is the Lord Jesus. Well, it very well could be. So here's three opinions. It's Jesus before he becomes a human being. So it's a theophany, which is a vision of God, but specifically it's called a Christophany, a vision of Christ before he becomes a human. The second view is that it's just one of the higher angels, and we'll present that opinion in just a minute. And the third view is, you don't know. Could be either or, all right? And so, what if it is Jesus? What, what is this symbolism all about? Okay, so let's just stay here in Revelation for just a moment. Um, clothed with a garment, all right? You saw that back in Daniel as the fine linen. That, that's the priestly side of the, the ministry of Jesus. Now, when the Jewish father does the, the Seder in his home, many of them will put on a simple white linen gown for the Seder for Passover, representing the fact that they're a priest to their family. Every Christian father, every Christian husband is a priest unto God for his own family. But this is the priestly ministry of Jesus that would be represented here. Uh, the gold that's repre represented around the chest, the purity of heart, uh, the divinity of God's heart being represented, and also the high priest uh, would wear uh, a breastplate that had the stones of the, the 12 tribes of Israel in it and the ornate gold decorations there. So the heart of a priest for his people, the holiness of the priest. Um, verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool. Uh, the wisdom, the purity uh, of God that, that is in here. Um, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his ability to discern and to be able to judge correctly. All things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to deal. There's not a word that's spoken in secret. There's not an action done in darkness that God does not know about. For the darkness is like light to him. And what is said in secret will be announced on the housetops. You, like me, when we hear that, we go, ow. Okay? But this is the fact that he has penetrating eyes, and he can see our hearts. Uh, we go on. Uh, his feet were like fine bronze, and they burned like a furnace. We see the same kind of uh, imagery portrayed in, in Daniel. Uh, bronze uh, was the place of, uh, is the metal of judgment. Before a sacrifice was accepted, in the Old Testament tabernacle or the Old Testament temple, they had to approach systematically 
to the very presence of God. And one of the places that they stopped was the bronze altar. And it was there that the sacrifice was presented to God and propitiation was made so that they, they could be clean to go into God's presence. They would not be judged. Judgment happened at that altar. Judgment happened on the cross for you and me. Jesus Christ was, if you can allow the imagery here, your bronze altar, where when he died on the cross, your sin was dealt with there. So you're free to have a relationship with God through the merits of Jesus Christ. You can have that personal relationship with, with the Father because of what the Son has done for you. He paid for all your sin. The blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin. You're going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. All sin? You mean even my future sins? Yeah, exactly. Think of it this way. When Jesus Christ died, all of your sins were yet future. And so, yes, he can forgive future sins because his blood has that kind of power. His life has that kind of merit. He's the only one holy that could pay for your sin. And uh, the sound of his the voice was like that of many waters. Well, there are images in the Psalms where the voice of God makes the hills roll and uh, the trees shake, makes the, the rams on the hillside dance or jump. Okay? God's word is powerful when God speaks. Today we don't get audible sounds of God's voice thundering to us, but folks, we still have the voice of God recorded right here. Book of Hebrews says that God in times past spoke unto us in various ways through the different prophets, but in these last days he has spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed to be the heir of all things. Now, there are a lot of voices out there in the religious world. Um, they usually fall into two classes. Well, if you'll do this, X, Y, Z, you're going to be a good person. Don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. All right? And then there's the voice of God that says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. For the soul that sins, it shall die. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So the two competing voices, the voices of man's wisdom that says, all roads, all religious paths lead to the same God, don't worry about it. Okay? Just be a good person. And then the other voice of God saying, there's not a righteous person on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You need to believe in me and what I've done for you, that I died for you, because you're not good, but my son, he was holy and just. You can believe in what he did for you. So listen to the voice of God, because there are so many competing sounds and voices out there today. But who are you listening to? As the cloud of, at the Mount of Transfiguration overshadowed the disciples, the last thing they heard, this is my beloved son, hear him. Listen to Jesus Christ today. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 10 now. We've presented to you the view of how this could be the Lord Jesus that is appearing to Daniel. 
Uh, by the way, uh, all of the objections to the fact that this could not be Jesus, well, they can be met. Um, let me just go through those uh, very quickly. The fact that, well, it says a certain man. Well, did you know that angels can appear as a man? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2 says, Be careful to entertain strangers, for some have unknowingly entertained angels. Okay? Um, when we see different appearances of angels in the Old Testament, we see them appearing like men. Uh, when you see different appearances of angels in the New Testament, sometimes they appear as men. Of the fact that he's one who was sent, that he's just a messenger, okay? Well, Jesus Christ is known as the apostle of God. An apostle means a sent one, uh, that he's a messenger. Um, the fact that he needed help. Well, was not the Lord in a position where he needed the strengthening of angels in Matthew chapter 4 after he was tempted and he had fasted 40 days? said the angels came and ministered unto him and strengthened him. Um, the fact that he needed help to fight the spiritual battle, well, it's very interesting. It says that when the battle was done, he remained in Daniel chapter 10. He remained there uh, with the prince of Persia. Uh, that means to have a place of authority to be victorious. Is Jesus Christ not an overcomer? So I, I think maybe you can indicate where my personal preference in this interpretation might be. Those that say, well, this is just a plain angel, uh, they go down to Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Um, so they say, verse 13, well, this angel needed help, so it couldn't be Jesus because he wouldn't need any help. Okay, valid point. So maybe we don't know. But do you know what the emphasis is? Yeah, I said that wrong on purpose. Okay. The emphasis in the text is not necessarily on the angel. Because we're warned in the book of Hebrews not to worship angels. The emphasis in the text is not on the messenger, it's on the message. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. So we can set that aside now. Let's look at the communication of this certain man. Let's go to chapter 10, verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. So here's the communication of the, the certain man, Daniel. You humbled yourself before God. You were fasting. You were seeking God's presence. Do you know God rewards humility? God gives grace to the humble, but to the proud, he resists. So Daniel is receiving the reward of the humble. You know something? 
here's a beautiful thing that you can claim. That in the spirit of Micah chapter 6, what does God require of you but to walk humbly, to love the Lord, and to walk justly with your fellow man? When you walk humbly before God, he takes notice. And he'll give you grace. Specifically, the grace that's mentioned here in the text is that Daniel got an answer to his prayers. Do you know that's a beautiful thing for you as a believer? That God will give you grace and answer your prayers too? You say, well, how do we know that? 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. And we know that if we ask anything of him, that we have the petitions that we desire of him. God delights in answering prayer. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks it is opened unto them. Listen, when we get such beautiful promises from God, why is it that this is how we pray? Dear Lord, Okay? Or we don't even pray. Sometimes I scratch my head and say as a church, why is prayer meeting so lightly attended? Good question. We have prayer twice a week in our church that you're invited to come to. Sunday morning for Sunday school, Wednesday night, 645. Come on out and pray. When God says he's going to answer prayer, why shouldn't we pray? I mean, that's exciting stuff. When God will give you answers to prayer. What a beautiful promise from God. So he said, Daniel, I've come to communicate to you that at the moment that you began to pray, God heard and sent me. Now, let's look here at this. All right, so... Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, this is not the literal human kings of Persia, but rather the spiritual principalities. Ephesians chapter 6. For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Hey, I don't need to make up spooky stories about a real devil. I don't need to fabricate them. The devil's real. And beginning in the book of Genesis chapter 3, he's introduced. And we come to the last book of the Bible, and he's thrown into the bottomless pit. But he's a real being. And he's well organized. He took a third of the angels of heaven with him when he rebelled. And he's got them set up in well-organized manner. And so this is what's going on here. Uh, they don't like God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're resisting that. So unseen to us, now not unknown to us, but unseen to us is that angelic conflict. So when you pray and you don't get that answer right away, you ought not to faint. 
It means don't give up. Because there might be a real spiritual battle taking place that you just can't see. So you might get a direct answer to prayer right away. Like the night uh, back in probably 1998 when I went to an Oakland A's game and I prayed for a foul ball. Uh, because my dad was with me and I had my son. So we had three generations at the Great American Pastime. And God, give us a memento to remember this night forever. And that baseball still sits in my home. All right. But God answered it right then and there that night. How exciting. But you might also get that delayed answer to prayer. The last ministry I was in, we had a delayed answer to prayer. It took 20 years of my ministering there. It took 40 years in the life of that church before they got their first church building. But God answered it. And then sometimes you get flat out no, because you ask that you might consume it upon your Powerball lusts, okay? So sometimes you just get a flat out denial. So sometimes you get a direct answer to prayer. Sometimes it's delayed because you don't understand the spiritual conflict that's taking place. So sometimes you're just asking incorrectly that you may consume it upon your lusts. So God says, no, that would not be good for you. <laughs> you definitely don't need that, Okay. So those are kind of the three answers to prayer. But this is definite conflict that's taking place here. And so we see um, one of the arguments why this couldn't be Jesus, because this angel needs help. He needs Michael to come and help him out. Now, who was Michael? Well, Michael was one of the archangels of God. And uh, every time you see his name in Scripture, he's a warring angel. He's an overcoming angel. He's always winning every time he's mentioned. But uh, specifically, he's the guardian angel of the nation of Israel. Can you think of all of the times in human history where other nations have got the demonic idea in their head, let's wipe out the Jews. But yet it hasn't happened. Because they're God's chosen people. They're the everlasting nation. And because Michael fights for them. And so it's communicated here in the text that he is the, the prince of your people, all right? Um, that he is the one that, that guards over Israel. So he's specifically involved in this prayer request of Daniel because it concerns the history of the Jewish people. What's going to happen to the Jewish people? And so verse 14, he says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for what? Many days. Do you know 2,000 years ago Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has made a promise. He's made a beautiful city. It's completed. How do we know that? Well, the book of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. The only thing that remains is for the Father to say to Jesus, go get your people. And so we're waiting for that promise, but it's, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Just because you have to wait a long time for something shouldn't diminish the value 
of what you're waiting for. Shouldn't diminish the reality of that. Okay? When you're a kid and your parents make a promise around the holiday season, I mean, it seems like it takes forever for Christmas to get there, right? And, <laughs> well, may that just work the anticipation into our hearts. God is not a liar. When God makes a promise, he'll, he'll bring it to fruition. And so it's for a long time. The vision is for many days yet, okay? Way out in the future. And um, so this is what is taking place. Now, I would like you to turn to a passage of Scripture, and we're just going to talk about contemporary political events here for just a moment, but go to the Revelation chapter 16. Now, we mentioned the devil, and we mentioned principalities and rulers of, of wickedness. Um, how many of you have ever heard the phrase demon possession? Okay. It's not something our society talks so much about anymore. You know, when we can know that people in America are demon-possessed by the signs or the characteristics of demon-possessed people. Unhappy, unclothed, uncivilized, uncontrollable, right? Unhoused. There's just all kinds of signs of either demonic activity or demonic possession is in people's lives. And those come from Luke chapter 5. You can read those. But not only is the devil trying to destroy individuals, the devil is trying to destroy nations. And this is what we find in Revelation 16, uh, verses 13 and 14. At the end of time, the devil and all his minions are gathering together the nations. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons working miracles that go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Okay? So the demonic beings are gathering the nations together. They're going to say one last time, let's go wipe off Israel from the face of the earth. Let's get rid of Israel. Well, what they don't know is that they're moving to the judgment day of God. But you know what's going on in our nation and nations throughout the world? Because God is a God of order. When there's chaos and tumultuous times in a nation, those are times when the citizens of that nation should be on their face before God praying for their nation. All of these shootings and all of the unchecked crime that we have going on that's not even being punished anymore, that's just demonic activity. It's trying to destroy a civilization. It's trying to tear down a nation. Now, it's true that the devil is the prince of this world. But he's not out to, to build. He's out to destroy. That's what he comes to do. And so the attacks that are within, the attacks that are from without. It's just demonic activity, and there's a lot of things that are going on in this nation that just, you look at it and you just say, where's the common sense? Folks, when you're spiritually blinded, you don't have common sense. You're not able to discern. You ultimately cannot distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. 
the Wild West, right? And uh, so that's what's going on. And so there's demonic activity. Ephesians chapter 6, look at Daniel chapter um, 10 and verse 20 as we go back here. Then said he, knowest thou not why I am come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. So God's not leaving that kind of activity unchecked. Okay? He's resisting it. So yes, there's, there's angelic warfare for nations, but I'm going to just say something else here that I think might be a little surprise to you. Why don't we get involved and do what's good so people can see good still exists? Why don't we love our neighbor as ourselves? Why don't we be involved as citizens? Have you voted? You're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And so you can be involved in the longevity of your nation by voting, uh, praying, as I mentioned before, for your nation. And so let's close this out then by looking at the last point. And so I've, I've gone through all my points on my paper, and I've left you sitting there. Okay, here we go. So sorry about that, folks. I just get carried away. The cause of the angels coming, verses 14 through 21. Daniel needs to be strengthened. Okay? So verse 14, the vision is for the latter days, for many days. Verse 15, Daniel is on his face. I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth, and I spoke and said unto him who stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there any breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And said, Lord, let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then he said, Knowest thou not why I am come unto thee? And now I return to fight with the prince of Persia. When I am come, uh, when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show thee, which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that, behold, uh, that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So that's why Michael is known as the prince of Israel. But here, Daniel needs to be strengthened. So five times through chapters 8 through 10, Daniel receives strengthening from God. But here in the text, says specifically, he needed strengthening to speak. Would you pray for your pastor? Because in my flesh, sometimes I get fearful. I'm weak. I need your prayers. I need God's strengthening. Don't forget to pray for one another. Pray for boldness. To stand. Yes, not just physically. I mean, I, I don't know what's happened to me. I came to Hollister after, you know, 20 years of my previous ministry, running marathons, picture of perfect health to come to Hollister, and I begin to fall apart, right? Uh, so pray for me physically, right? But I think symbolically in the text, just pray for me spiritually. Because if you can strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. 
um, but then not to fear. Chapter 10, verse 19, okay? Fear not. You know, God doesn't want us to live in fear. Yes, these are scary times. They really are, but you can't let that fear dominate you. You cannot let that fear immobilize you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus said, I have overcome the wicked one. We are not to fear. As Joshua went in to battle, God told him, fear not. Well, why on earth should we not fear? You know, you, you've seen that old Bob Newhart joke, the little video that goes around about this woman that has the fear of being buried alive in a box, you know, and goes through all of that. And his answer is, just stop it, right? Well, how does someone just stop it? It just doesn't work that way because we don't have strength internally to fight those kind of battles. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves. It is of God. And so if you're a person that's given to fear, well, God's command is fear not, but it's so much more than just stop it. Quit being fearful, okay? God will strengthen you. He'll help you overcome your fears. You don't have to panic because you're in sovereign hands. There's a sovereign God. Now, it might be a long way out yet. So your part right now is to live by faith. Are you living by faith today? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? 